Greetings and salutations from Times Square, crossroads of the world. This is the Muni Lowdown, produced by DebtWire Municipals, where we talk about this week's most interesting stories in the municipal bond market. And I am your host, Young Lim, desk editor at DebtWire Municipals. Hello and good morning. Today is Tuesday, January 21st. And this is another edition of the Muni Lowdown. We want to welcome you all, and today here are our topics. DebtWire Associates Courts Editor Maria Chachian talks about Thomas Health System seeking Chapter 11 protection, which it blames in part on low federal reimbursements, among others. DebtWire Head of Municipal Research Greg Clark discusses Chicago and their sales tax securitization court bond issue. And DebtWire reporter Simone Barabo looks at the U.S. Virgin Islands and the attempt to unlock itself out of the market since 2016. So let's welcome Maria. Welcome. Hi, Young. Thanks for having me. Sure. Welcome back. So let's talk about Thomas Health System and the story you wrote about. Sure. So Thomas Health System, which is a nonprofit network of hospitals based in West Virginia, uh, filed for Chapter 11 protection last week, as you said. It is specifically the holding company for Thomas Memorial Hospital in South Charleston and St. Francis Hospital in Charleston. In court papers, its president, David Laufer, I'm not sure if I'm saying that right, Laufer maybe, uh, cites several factors that he says contributed to the system's current position. He talks about lower reimbursement rates for Medicare, which covers a lot of its patients and Medicaid as well. He also talks about competing health systems as a factor in its financial strain, as well as what he calls the war on coal, which he blames generally for people leaving the state. The system's admissions, observations, and emergency room visits have have declined significantly in recent years. Lawfer says those numbers have dropped by 12%, 26%, and 45% from fiscal year 2015 to fiscal year 2018, respectively. But of course, the system's debt stack is what we're looking at. Thomas Health reports $240 million in total liabilities, of which $137.9 million stems from hospital revenue improvement, bombs, improvement bonds that were issued in 2008. Those bond proceeds were used to refinance short-term debt for the acquisition of St. Francis and to build a new six-story pavilion and for capital expenditures for the year of 2009. And the rest of the debt stems from 6.3 million owed on capital leases, 45 million in underfunded pension obligations, and 32 million in trade debt. Well, Maria, thanks for the background. So let me ask, start with the, for, the first question. Did the state's opioid problems play any sort of role, would you say, in the Thomas Health bankruptcy? Uh, yes. West Virginia has the highest number of recorded opioid-related deaths in 2017. And while you might think that greater opioid problems might lead to more patients, uh, Lawfer says treatment for opioid and other substance abuse, those costs are significant, and that the lower reimbursement rates from Medicare have forced the hospital system to shoulder more of those costs. And in addition to the opioid crisis, West Virginia had the highest obesity rate in the U.S. in 2017 as well. Very interesting. What's Thomas Health's plan for exiting Chapter 11? It doesn't seem to have one yet. In court papers, the system says it started exploring its options in February of last year, and by December it had one proposal from presumably a third party in the works, but it didn't elaborate on that proposal. 
uh, Laffer said the system had to file for Chapter 11 to comply with certain covenants, but he didn't say he didn't say exactly what those were. So the situation is a little vague right now. Mm, sounds like it. Last question, since you're the court's reporter, have there been any court appearances yet? Yes, uh, there was a first day hearing last week where Thomas Health's lawyers requested some operational and administrative relief so the lights would stay on and employees could get paid. Judge Frank Volk granted those requests. The system hasn't requested any post-petition financing at this point, uh, but the next hearing is scheduled for February 19th, so hopefully we'll have a little more information by then about what to expect next in this case. Well, we look forward to that. But Maria, you're welcome anytime to come back on the Mini Lowdown. Thank you. And thank you for your work, and we'll talk to you again soon. Great. Have a good one. Okay, let's move on to our next participant. Greg Clark, how are you doing, Greg? I'm good, Jan. How are you? Good, thanks. Let's talk about your latest analyst snapshot on the city of Chicago. What do you got for us? Well, those with an interest in the muni market have followed the city in the last five years or so as it's dealt with a variety of financial problems, including pension underfunding and budget deficits. And as a means of dealing with the deficits, the city has deployed a few problematic financial practices. So Greg, why don't you give me an example of that? One example is that the city balances its budget frequently by using financial resources that won't be available in the future. Let's let's just use a generic city. If a city raises its sales tax, from 5% to 6%, all else being equal, it'll collect more revenue from that source. But if it sells an asset and uses the money to balance the budget, the asset's gone forever. And in the following year, you're left with a higher level of spending, but without the higher revenues you would have if you would increase the tax rate rather than sold an asset. So what Chicago is doing in its current fiscal year, which ends December 31st, is using debt service savings resulting from last week's bond issues, which I'll talk about in a minute. And it's also using accumulated balances of various funds. In addition, they've included uh, as a budget balancing measure, budget assumptions, such as an increased rate of Medicaid reimbursement and successful execution of management initiatives. The higher Medicaid reimbursement still requires approval by the federal government, so that's not guaranteed. And the management initiatives include items such as, quote, departmental reductions and savings, end quote. And these are difficult, to say the least, to measure and attain. So tell us more about the bond issues and the market's reaction. Well, the name of my research article, which I I think you mentioned earlier, which was published prior to the bond sales, was Chicago Treads Financial Water, a reference to the practices I noted above and others. Mayor Lori Lightfoot of Chicago needed to close a budget gap of $838 million. That's about 22% of revenues. And the fact that the city still faces gaps of this magnitude well into a national economic expansion is obviously a cause for concern. If they're on a financial tightrope now, please excuse the multiple and mixed metaphors, the next recession when it occurs is likely to result in even bigger problems for the city. But wait, Greg, you still haven't told us about the bond issues. Hold your horses. (laughs) Well, Chicago sold two types of bonds last week. One type was uh, general obligation bonds, which are immediately recognizable by anybody in the muni world. Uh, The city sold 466 million of these bonds with tighter spreads than it received in years. 
Tell us about these tighter spreads. What do you mean by that? Well, in short, the GO bonds, the general obligation bonds, were, were much more favorably received by the market than they were at the time of the city's two most two other most recent bond issues in March 2019 and January 2017. The way we know this is that the gap or spread in the bond yield compared to a widely used benchmark was much tighter, quote unquote, than at these two other times. I'll give you some numbers which will help illustrate this. The spreads on last week's 10-year GOs were 107 basis points over the benchmark. That compares to 170 basis points on bonds offered in March 2019 and more than 300 basis points on bonds offered in January 2017. Uh, the other bonds offered last week were issued by the Sales Tax Securitization Corporation, or STSC, which was created by the city a few years ago. The STSC issues bonds payable from sales tax and uses bond proceeds to refinance general obligation bonds. The sales tax bonds have a higher rating than the general obligation bonds. I should say higher ratings than the general obligation bonds. So the city issues STSC bonds to achieve debt service savings. The uh, the STSC bonds were uh, in the amount of $988 million. And for the first time, some of these bonds were issued with a second lien on the sales tax. These bonds were also favorably received by the market. Caitlin Devitt of our Muni team reported that several market participants said the city's strong showing is driven more by investors who are hungry for yield than improvements in the credits themselves. One final note, uh, a day ahead of the STSC offering, Fitch dropped the rating on both senior and subordinate lanes to AA minus down from AAA due to Fitch's revised criteria on tax-supported debt. So the, the fact that uh, investors are looking for yield explains probably most of the, uh, of the strong showing. And, I, and I'm sure investors are aware of Chicago's underlying challenges, which are due to continue, I think, for quite a few years. Well, I think that's true. And um, we thank you for your insightful commentary and also for keeping me on my toes. So thank you, Greg. You're welcome. All right, let's finish off with Simone Barabo in Miami, the home of the next Super Bowl. How are you doing down there, uh, Simone? I'm doing very well and definitely did not just learn when you told me that, that this is the home of the next Super Bowl. <laughs> All right. Well, it's going to be happening in two weeks. 49ers and Kansas City Chiefs should be a good game. But anyway, so let's get back to the Muni lowdown. Let's talk about the U.S. Virgin Islands. So my first question yeah. I have for you is tell us about the governor, Governor Bryan's pension proposal. Yes. So there aren't many details. But even from the few we know, it looks like it's a tough road. In Governor Bryan's State of the Territory address, he said that the territory was looking for revenue streams to back a bond to shore up the pension system. He said that the island was in active talks with rum distilleries interested in starting new operations in the Virgin Islands, and also mentioned gasoline excise taxes and the Virgin Islands share of the U.S. Congress's Caribbean Basin Initiative funding, which is a congressional effort to reduce illegal trafficking in the Caribbean, not just in U.S. territory, so it's split between a bunch of different countries and the Virgin Islands. 
Governor Bryant didn't mention the size of the bond or the potential interest rate on the bond, but there was a government employee's retirement system report last August that gives some idea of what the scope would need to be to save the pension system. And that report said $1 billion wouldn't be enough. $2 billion wouldn't be enough. It said the system needed at least $3 billion, and it would like to get it at around a 3% interest rate. So Governor Bryan didn't cite this report, and the Virgin Islands and its retirement system are often at odds. They're engaged in a very long-running lawsuit. So it's very possible that the Virgin Islands has a different analysis, but this gives you an idea of what one possibility might be. Wow. So not one, but two, but but three billion. So how realistic is a $3 billion bond deal? So obviously... It's a lot of money. Yes. Keep in mind, yeah, the, the island only has about 100,000 residents. So that's <laughs> around $30,000 per person on the island, per man, woman, and child. It's already locked out of the bond market, the Virgin Islands is. Its total bond debt is now only around $2 billion, so this would be more than doubling it. It's huge, and the 3% interest rate almost assumes that the U.S. government is giving them a loan. So if you, say, got someone like Elizabeth Warren or Bernie Sanders in the White House next year, and depending on what Congress looked like, maybe the federal government lending to the Virgin Islands is a possibility. But for right now, it would be a very, very hard sell. The second issue is the income streams that are going to pay back the bond. The most promising one of the ones he he listed seemed to be rum distilleries coming to the island. Rum distillers coming to the island. You know, he said they're in active talks, and presumably this would be the same type of matching fund taxes that the U.S. sends back to the Virgin Islands. That backs a large portion of the debt that it currently outstanding, but getting rum distilleries is really, really competitive. And the Virgin Islands has battled Puerto Rico and other Caribbean nations forever trying to get these distilleries. Sometimes they win, but there's no real reason that to believe that it's anywhere near a sure thing that they'd be able to draw more distilleries now than they could, say, a year ago or, or two years ago. Now, to be fair, possible that the Virgin Islands is planning to break this up and have a smaller bond issuance and more money directly into the retirement system. So maybe they'll look at something smaller than $3 billion. But even if they do that, whatever money is going to the retirement system and whatever money is going to the retirement system directly dries up, you get a situation where people aren't getting paid their pensions and bonds are still being paid, which, as we've seen, may be untenable. If you look at Puerto Rico, which also has a $3 billion pension bond and a much bigger system, that bond's not getting paid. And under the current proposal, pensioners aren't going to be taking a very big haircut. I don't know if that proposal is going to be the one approved by the bankruptcy court, but that's where things stand right now. So you have this other problem, which is the legal precedence that Puerto Rico is setting. It has bonds even backed by the same rum taxes that back the Virgin Islands debt. And those bonds aren't being paid either. And Puerto Rico is arguing that it doesn't need to pay them. And there are key differences between the bonds. I'm not saying they're the same thing, but there certainly at least appears to be a legal risk there. All right, Simone, let's backtrack to the Virgin Islands. When you said that the pension system is in trouble, how much trouble are we talking about? It's in a lot of trouble. It's supposed to run out of cash to pay full benefits within five years. It needs at least another 
this is fighting the retirement system report again, but it needs at least another $80 million per year to stave off the pending insolvency. And it's only got about a billion-dollar annual general fund budget, and that budget already has a structural deficit of between $85 million and $150 million. So another $80 million payment is a lot. It's not at all clear if they can come up with that money. Interesting. So I got one last question for you. Are there any other territories considering like a pension obligation bond? So very strangely, the answer to that is yes. The Commonwealth of the Northern Mariana Islands, which had to restructure its pension system not that long ago, has been trying to sell a $65 million pension obligation bond. And I say this is strange because in general, as you know, pension obligation bonds have fallen out of favor. There are some high profile cases where they haven't worked. Puerto Rico, for instance, they unquestionably made things worse. You saw that in some mainland places. So for territories which are themselves have their own risk to be looking at them now, it'll be interesting to see if they can find buyers. Should be very interesting indeed. All right, Simone, thank you so much for your work. We'll see you again. All right. Thank you. All right. I want to thank everyone today. I want to thank Maria Chachian, Greg Clark, and Simone Barabo, and our producer, Anthony Phillips, for making us sound good. But again, most of all, thank you to our listeners out there who tune in week after week to the Muni Lowdown. We'll catch you again next week. Thanks. Take care. Thanks for listening to the Muni Lowdown with me, your host, Young Lim. If you want to know more, subscribe to DebtWire.com and follow us on social media. Please leave comments, rate, like, and share. Join us next week when we talk about the latest in the municipal bond market.